Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Light the light. If you're like me, uh, you somewhat enjoy uh, reading funny um, statements on people's tombstones. And so as I was thinking about David's final words, I once again got on uh, line and I started Googling, you know, and finding all sorts of funny things. And probably my favorite from last night was uh, Johnny Yeast. And it said something like this. Here lies Johnny Yeast. I'm sorry I will not rise, or something like that. And it's just like, that is, that's really bad. But um, it's a baking joke. If you don't get it, go and ask somebody that you know that bakes. Um, and you'll laugh later. Anyways, um, well, we get to this passage, and, and David is giving his last words. These are his last comments on life. This is his advice to the nation. This is his advice to not just future kings, but to the entire nation. This is his advice to you and I. And it brings up the whole idea of advice. And you have been given advice from your, your parents. You've been given advice from your grandparents. You've been given advice from aunts and uncles. I remember one of my uncles, when he found out I was coming to Bible college, he's like, you've got to go and learn like welding. Those pastors don't make much money, and you can weld on the side, and you can support yourself. Okay, it's not bad advice, um, but you know you're given lots of advice. Some of it's pretty cliche, you know, like treat others like you want to be treated, um, listen well, tell the truth. Probably my favorite one um, that's kind of funny. Um, every time my wife has a baby, you know what they tell her? Sleep when the baby's sleeping, and my wife's like. It never works. It never works. And when we open up to 2 Samuel chapter 23, here we have advice that is real, advice that is trustworthy, advice that you can bet the rest of your life on, so to speak. I believe that the big idea is that God's servants pursue righteousness and they trust him. God's servants pursue righteousness and they choose to trust him. If you want to take your Bibles and let's read 2 Samuel chapter 23, we'll read verses 1 through 7. Now these, I think the mic needs to be turned down a little. Okay. Um, now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob. And the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, The Rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth. By clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has been with me an everlasting covenant. 
ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Father, we do thank you for your trustworthy, faithful advice. Advice that is fit for a king, but also fit for me and the people who are here today. We pray that as we study through your word, that you would help us to be servants who pursue righteousness, who advance righteousness, and who choose to trust your promises and live in faithfulness and obedience and the difficulties and trials that we will face this coming week. In your name we pray. Amen. The passage begins, and it just begins by kind of introducing us to this idea of last words. And as he begins, he tells us these are the last words of David. These are described, he is described as the servant of God. He has been the servant of God since 1 Samuel chapter 16, where God came and took him from beside the sheep, and he has begun to work in his life to bring him into the position of being king. And really, I think what David had a desire for those who would read this was for them not only to realize, you know, I am, I, David, am a servant of God, but that you, my subjects, those of you who will come after me, you are also servants of the Most High God. You are also those who should serve and should seek to promote and advance the truth of God. <clears throat> and so God chooses and he appoints his servant with these words. And the, the passage is very, very clear about who this David is. He's the man who's raised up on high. He is the one who's anointed of the God of Jacob. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's written lots of different psalms. We've read two of them already this morning. And we could read many, many more. But it's interesting Who's the one speaking here? All of a sudden, he introduces this new foreign idea. This is David's oracle. That means David is the one speaking. But as David begins to speak, what does he say? My, my speech is made possible not because of anything that I have done, not because of how great I am, not because... Of you know the fact that I am king, my, my speech is made possible because God made a promise to me. God told me something. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His words was on my tongue. And so this this message, this these last words of David, are not simply David's words, because if if all they were was David's words was David's understanding of a long time of being king and his reflections upon it and his pithy little statements like be kind to others or, you know, tell the truth or listen well or all the other little pieces of advice that people give us that are good pieces of advice. If that's all this amounted to, it really would be somewhat meaningless. And he's making clear as he's wrapping up his final statements, these words transcend 
the wisdom that you gain through life experience. This isn't simply me telling you, you know, after being king for, you know, so many years and, you know, having had all these different conflicts and having had the sin situations that I've had and dealing with, you know, problem children. This, these, are, these are the advice that I would give you. That's not what he's doing here. Instead, this is him explaining to us God has made all of this possible. God is the one who is orchestrating these last words, who makes the statements that are found here true. And so the, the big idea is that these words are not, they're not anthropocentric. They're not human-centered words. Instead, they are God-centered words. And so as we continue to work through the passage, it's going to be very, very clear that the point of the passage is to draw us to God, to point us to God, to remind us of who God is and how God desires that you and I relate to him and before him in our day-to-day -day lives. And that is, that is exactly where the text moves. David's introduced, these are my final words, these are, this is the last thing that I really want everybody to grasp a hold of. If there's something that you walk away from, this whole story of, you know, Samuel and Eli, and you walk away from the story of Saul, and Saul's rise to power, and his very sad decline, and David's cool rise to power, and all the difficulties that he faced... If there's something that you get out of that whole story, the idea is, this is it. This is the conclusion to the whole thing. Why has somebody painstakingly sat down with a quill and, you know, old writing utensils and handwritten this whole book? That is what David is providing us here. And so he says... Your responsibility, my responsibility, is to live like the light. Verse 3. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear, shining after rain. What's he getting at? What is he explaining to us? He says, this is God issuing a decree for his servants. In case you kind of missed it in verse 2, he like really narrows in and hones in on this idea, hey, this, is, this isn't simply, you know, David's last oracle. That's how we started off this whole thing, right? These are David's final words. And then he slowly kind of creeps into this idea like you know David's actually the mouthpiece for a far greater king this isn't really about David the whole story about David isn't really about David the whole story about Saul isn't about Saul the whole story about Samuel isn't really about Samuel it's about God and the fact that God is faithful and that God has demands upon his subjects that is the idea of the passage and so God of Israel has said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. And what did God tell King David? He says to him, he who rules over men must be just. You must be righteous, is the idea. 
servants then must rule justly. And in, in some way, in some shape, in some fashion, you serve as a servant of God. And God requires that you be just, that you be righteous in order to serve him as you ought. It's very interesting, especially when we consider, you know, some of David's past. There's been, you know, epic highs in David's life, but there have been some grandiose lows as well, right? And David looks out at all his subjects. He looks out and he says, this is what God demands of his servants. He demands of his servants that they be just, that they be righteous. And you go, we have a problem because, you know, yesterday I sinned in this way and I sinned in that way. And this morning as I was thinking through the whole fact that there's, you know, daylight savings time, I began to sin again because I don't understand the leadership of our nation that would institute such a thing, right? And maybe you sinned in some other way this morning, but, you know, it's, it's likely that some of you at least sinned in some way as you thought through your morning in, in, in relationship to daylight savings time. And, and so none of us are righteous. And yet God's demands, God's requirements on his servants is that they be just, that they be righteous. He moves on and he says, not only that, but they should rule in the fear of the Lord. They should understand who God is. And they should live in fear of him. Why? Because even though David is the servant king, and David has power over his domain in a sense. I mean, David can take a man's wife and commit adultery with her and then have that man killed. Just at his whim. And yet, David's power is not nearly as significant or as all-consuming as God's. And so God says to David, and David says to us, God's servant must operate under the fear of the Lord. He moves on. And as he moves on and he begins this final verse, verse 4, I think that the big idea is that the Lord blesses both physically and spiritually through his servant. And he says, the ruler, the, the servant of the Lord who is leading his people will be like the light of the morning when the sun rises. A morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear, shining after rain. And there, there are lots of textual difficulties with this whole text. There are um, enough that we could, we could wax eloquent for a very long time about all of that. But, but the general idea, the big idea, I believe, shines bright, right? What's the big idea? The big idea is that the king, as he leads his people with justice, as he leads his people under the fear of the Lord, he is going to be a light that shines on the people. And how does he, how does he picture that? How many of you have noticed that there's a little bit more green in our life when we go outside these days? And most of you are like, yay, the, the snow is going away you begin to see the nice, lush, green grass, and you begin to dread the day that you have to pull out your mower. But, but it's nice to know that spring is coming. And he's picturing the blessings that this king brings 
by picturing for us that fresh grass and what provides fresh grass like that? Well, you need sunlight and you need rain. And if we don't have one of those, the grass dies. Last year, I, I hauled out a metal shelf out of our basement. Bethany didn't want that metal shelf in our basement. Um, and so I hauled it out and I left it on um, kind of on the side of the house. And it sat there for a very, very long time. What happened to the grass underneath that metal shelf? It, it turned yellow and it began to go away and you know, then leaves started to fill in that metal shelf and then what happened to the other grass? It also begins to go away. Why? Because there's no light. Because there's no light, there's no growth, there's no maturity there. And when I, when I finally got around to, you know, going outside and disassembling that shelf and throwing it away, what happened to my grass? It got rain once again and the sunlight came again and my grass flourished. And the idea here is that as the king rules under the fear of the Lord, as he understands his place before God, as he rules in a way that is just, and as his own character demonstrates justice and righteousness, what happens? The people of his nation are blessed both physically and spiritually. I think that there is probably some correlation, if you remember, last, last two weeks ago, we talked about the light. And the light is mentioned both in the men talking to David in chapter 22 at the end. And they say to David, you can't die, David. Why? Because you are the light of Israel. You are the one who guides us and leads us on the correct path. And then you see that same type of imagery come up in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Where David is once again described as following and portraying this light. And what, what is the light portraying there? The light there is very clearly portraying the fact that as the king obeys the Lord, as he follows him in obedience and as he follows him in faithfulness, what happens? The nation is led spiritually. And there are other psalms you could go to. You could go to, I believe, Psalm 72, and then uh, I think Psalm 110, and they pick up on this idea that as this king comes, as, as the future king comes, that is King Jesus, the Messiah, when he comes and he establishes his reign, and it's only righteous, and it truly submits under the fear of the Lord. What's pictured in those psalms? There is physical and spiritual blessing. And so this is the idea that David is communicating under the authority of God. This is your responsibility. This is my responsibility. You and I, as we seek to be servants of God, we must be righteous. But none of us measure up. We must be people who fear the Lord. Yet none of us perfectly measure up there. We must be people who live our lives in such a way that people are blessed physically and they are blessed spiritually. And yet, 
You've made decisions that have harmed your family financially. You have made decisions that have harmed your family spiritually. None of us measure up perfectly to the ideal. He moves from there. And, and he makes a stark contrast. He said, this is, this is what you should do as a servant of God. This is the ideal. This is what everybody in my kingdom should be pursuing. This is God's plan for all people everywhere. And if you choose to disobey that plan, if you choose to go your own way, that's really dangerous. And he's going to describe that. When that happens, when you have obstacles in your path of obedience and faithfulness to God, whether that be, you know, you pursued obedience, you pursued faithfulness in some way, and then all of a sudden something comes up in your life that's really, really difficult. And it's not that you can immediately attach the two ideas together and be like, because I did this ministry, this unfortunate event happened in my life, but it's like, wow, that's, that's hard. How can, how can God allow this hard event to come into my life when I've been pursuing faithfulness, I've been pursuing obedience in this area? Why would he allow this to come? And that's, I believe, where David goes with this next idea. He says, trust the Lord's promises. Because David's life wasn't free from heartache. It wasn't free from pain. And not all the heartache and not all the pain was caused by David's sin. A good deal of it later on in his life was caused by his own sin. David tells um, Nathan that he wants to pay, you know, fourfold when he hears about the sheep incident. And he ends up paying fourfold. But in those obstacles, what does David say you and I should do? He says in the midst of those obstacles, when we face difficulties, when we face trials in life, you and I are instructed to trust the Lord. Verse 5. Now, once again, there are, there are textual difficulties. I think that the big idea, though, does shine clearly. There are some translations that are going to assert that my house is with God. So if you have a Christian Standard Bible, you're going to have that translation. If you have a New King James, you're going to have, although my house is not with God. Okay, so pretty drastic differences. It either is or isn't. But the big idea, I think, shines through. Whatever, whatever translation philosophy you choose, I think that the big idea is that in David's own ability, in his own strength, in his own power, in the midst of those difficulties, in the midst of those trials, what would David have done? What would any of us have done? We would not have trusted the Lord's faithfulness. We would not have persevered in faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. And, and so he points and he says, I'm not with God. But I am with God because... I realize God is faithful, and because I realize God is faithful, even though my natural inclination is not to pursue obedience and faithfulness to God, I will choose to do that. Look at the rest of verse 5. Although my house is not, with, not so with God, yet he has made me an everlasting covenant 
ordered in all things and secure. For this is my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? The idea is, because of God's faithfulness, even though his natural inclination, our natural inclination, isn't to pursue faithfulness and obedience to God's covenant promises. He says God is faithful and he remains faithful and I can trust in his promises. And let me contrast that with those who choose not to trust God's promises. David acknowledges God's past faithfulness and care and then God sees and will punish and judge the enemies of the appointed servant. This is in verses 6 and 7. But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. As he, as he enters into this conclusion, he uses language that reminds us of various passages in Scripture. As, as Saul rises to power, there are sons of wickedness, there are evil people who rise up and say to him, You are not the king, we will not submit to you. As David rises in power, what happens to him as well? There are men that come up to him and say, We reject your authority, we will not submit to you, we don't view you as the rightful king and heir to this throne. And what happens to those people? Their ideas, at least, are defeated, and many of them are also defeated, and they're gone. They die. And I, I think that that is the imagery that David wants us to remember is, remember the people in my life who have come and have opposed my following God's leading and doing what God wanted. And how did God respond to that? God was faithful to me. He persevered, or he preserved me, and I persevered in faithfulness and obedience to him. Why? Because he's illustrating the importance of trusting God's faithfulness. The idea is God has done it in the past and he's going to continue to do it in the future. And I think that's why in verse 5 you see this idea of the future. David means this psalm to be for all of us. All of us should pursue righteousness. All of us should understand the sovereign authority of God. All of us must submit ourselves under the fear of the Lord and submit to him in obedience. All of us must be Sources of blessing to people. And it's all based on this understanding of who God is, that God fulfills his promises, that he accomplishes what he says he will accomplish. And so in verse 5, David looks forward and he goes, This isn't who my natural self would be. You have made me that. And it's only through your faithfulness, through your covenant faithfulness, that this will continue to increase. Not in his own life. He's about ready to die. 
He isn't looking for increased faithfulness, I don't think, in his own life. The idea is only through your covenant faithfulness, God, will this type of lifestyle be followed and pursued by my descendants who are going to be kings after. Only through your covenant faithfulness will the nation of Israel continue to persevere and pursue faithfulness and obedience to you. Only through God's faithfulness in our lives will you and I continue to pursue faithfulness and obedience to our God. I believe that is what is being communicated here. It's God's faithfulness, God's goodness that we have seen in the life of David. The ups and downs of David's character. Up and down, up and down, up and down. It's like a crazy roller coaster. I don't like roller coasters at all. And yet, yet that's what we see in David's life. It, it's very much like all the heroes of the Bible. They're up and down and up and down. And, and yet in the middle of David's ups and downs, in the middle of Abraham's ups and downs, in the middle of Peter's ups and downs, God remains faithful and consistent and he does not change. He fulfills his promises. He accomplishes his purposes. And David looks at his people and he tells them, this is the standard. But you won't measure up apart from God's faithfulness. But pursue faithfulness. But on your own, you don't measure up. And so... Um, God uses the willing, obedient servant to crush the wicked one. In conclusion, I think that there are a few theological principles that I believe the text is, is teaching us. And then from there, I believe that we can then draw out some applications that may be helpful in our, in our lives this week. God's servants promote righteousness. God's servants promote righteousness. That is from... Verse 3. Uh, he who rules over men must be just, or he must be righteous. God is sovereign and rules his creation. And that is why David must submit himself to it and follow him, understanding the fear of the Lord. God is faithful and he keeps his promises to all. And ultimately, that is why David has been able to have a faithful career. It's not because David is so great. You've seen David in great highs and really great lows. The hero of the story is not David. The hero of the story is God. It is God's faithfulness that the text is directing us to. God fulfills and accomplishes his promises. And so as we think about this, I think these are some things that we should consider uh, applying to our lives. We willingly and we graciously accept the circumstances that God ordains for our life. Why? Because we understand that God is sovereignly in control. He is working out the events of our life, both hard, both great, both painful, both joyful. He is working all those out, and he is intentionally bringing those events into our life. And so as those events come into our life, we willingly and we graciously accept the circumstances that God has ordained. 
as much as is possible within us because God's servants promote righteousness. You and I must be righteous. And we're, we're, we already are on a bad start because, you know, it was Daylight Savings Sunday. And so just getting up was, you know, hard to do without sitting. And so what do we, how do we rectify this situation? Because we're all in a predicament. God's servants must be righteous, and yet you and I struggle to get up when our government tells us we have to. And isn't it, isn't it joyful to know that you don't make yourself righteous? Instead, God looked upon your condition. He knew that you and I were sinners, that we were fallen, that we could never save ourselves. And so in his sovereign good plan, he chose to send his son to the earth to live a perfect, sinless life, to send him to the cross, to die, to bear the penalty of your sins, of my sins, and for all sins of all eternity. And we can receive forgiveness and be declared righteous by looking to Jesus and saying, I place my faith in your son's finished work. Save me. And then you're declared righteous, fit for service for the king. We teach, we encourage, we instruct righteousness as opportunities are afforded us. Whether that be times in our homes where we have opportunities to teach our children, opportunities to instruct and to encourage our spouses, opportunities to encourage our neighbors, opportunities to point them to the, the need that they have for righteousness as you talk with unbelievers. It is your responsibility, it is my responsibility as people who are servants of God, who are to promote righteousness, to find ways to do this in a meaningful and winsome way. We rejoice in God's blessings which allow us to live righteously. And then finally, I believe that it is our responsibility, as David does, to rejoice in God's faithfulness. David reaches the end of his life and he says, it's not because of me. I am not the hero. The hero of the story is God. In the midst of my unfaithfulness, God has been faithful. And so you and I, we should be humbled and we should be thankful for the faithfulness of God in the midst of our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, and the insufficiency that we see in our own character. God remains faithful and he allows us to serve him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the fact that you are faithful, that you call us to righteousness, you call us to obedience, and that you provided your son to accomplish that for us. We pray that as we have opportunities this week, that we would be people who promote righteousness, who submit ourselves to your sovereign control, who, who fear you as we make decisions, who seek to be sources of blessing both sp spiritually and physically to those we encounter. We thank you that in the midst of the trials and the difficulties that you will bring into our life this week, that in the midst of all those, you are going to remain faithful and that you have provided us everything that you believe we need and in fact know that we need for that situation. We pray that we would find comfort in knowing that you care for us and that you have provided us all that we need. In your name we pray.
song, The Hope from a Foundation. Oh. 